you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we're going to find ourselves there again. We have an opportunity to look at Zechariah and Mary as we discover what the Lord has for us. So whether I'm in times of great sorrow or triumph, I know that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Praise God for his joy. Praise God that he is there steady. What is joy? What does it look like? How does it feel? We might talk about that a little bit. I can't remember if I defined it. But I'm always like, it's the, it's the happiness that is sustained happiness, right? Even though you shouldn't be happy, you're happy. And it's not necessarily a morbid happiness or anything like that. It's a God loves me and I'm, I'm secure in that kind of happiness, right? Joy usually goes with peace. When James chapter 1 says, consider it an opportunity for great joy, he is talking to the persecuted church and they are having some difficult times and he is asking them to endure through those things. But before James comes along, we have Zechariah. We're going to look at Zechariah, and then we're going to look at Mary. And I'm looking at those in order of, I guess I'll say lesser faith and then greater faith, because that's not the order they are in the, in the Bible. They, they give Mary's example first, and then they give Zechariah's example second. Well, first, second, and then third is Zechariah. So the one and three are Zechariah, and the middle one is, is Mary, as it's written. We're going to look at joy developed this morning, and that's going to be on in Zechariah. I noticed in Zechariah's story, this is John the Baptist's father, right? So we've talked about him earlier on in this Christmas series, but I couldn't help but go back and hit it over again. Doris, last Sunday school, she talked about this a little bit and hinted on it and just really spurred my thought process on. And I got to thinking, as we see Zechariah's hope and his faith and his peace, they're all stunted in this position where when he asked the angel, how can this be? How can this be? And the angel just is flabbergasted, like, well, one, I don't lie. Two, I, I stand in the presence of God. And three, he said it's going to be. It's like, since you've doubted, now there's going to be consequences, Right? And so, due to his lack of faith, and maybe it's not lack of faith, but it's a lack of obedience, right? He was faithful enough to have the angel appear to him, so he's done his job up to that point. So it's not necessarily faith that's faltering, it's obedience. He gets to the point, he's like, well, how can this be? He's not following through like we see with Mary. Mary, she hears it, and she's like, let it be. It's going to be a rough road to hoe for you, girl. And he, she's like, bring it on. I'm, I'm good to go. Zachariah's like, you, it's looking for the guy behind him that's younger. It's, it's the guy at the end of the rope that's going to pull me out of here. Is that who you're talking about? Is his name Zachariah too? No, we're talking to you. We're talking to your wife. This happened early on in Jewish history. You shouldn't be surprised. God's done this before, and he's going to do it again. So along with that lack of obedience, it caused him to, get, to go through a trial before the joy came. He was mute until the naming of John the Baptist. And once Zechariah obeyed, 
he was able to prophesy about his son, and the blessing of joy was poured out from the Lord. But we don't see that blessing until way later, right? So we hear about Zechariah going to the temple, and then it's nine months where he is mute. And then as soon as he says, he writes down his name is John, he's able to speak. Now, you got to think about this. Who's been there for three months while he's there? Mary has been, right? He's heard her story. So you wonder why God had Zechariah have his ears open and his mouth shut. Maybe because he needed to listen to hear Mary for what she had to say. You had this miracle of your birth of your son. Mary has a miracle as well that you need to pay attention to because it's pretty unbelievable because she's a virgin and she's pregnant. This is my child, Zechariah. And as, as miraculous as that angel showed up to you, one showed up to her, one showed up to Joseph, and um, the Christ child is in her womb. So we're going to look at this prophecy that he proclaims. He gets done, he opens up his mouth. The first thing he says is a prophecy to the Lord. And you look at verse 68 through 70, and it says, doesn't say that. It says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. This is a prophecy for the Messiah. This is not a prophecy for John the Baptist, okay? So as he is in there for the last three months, he must believe Mary, one, that she's pregnant, and two, that it is with the Messiah because he is prophesying about the Messiah. I think he's been faithful because he is able to come to this conclusion. I think he has, has now has that joy, and I think he has that peace because he is walking back in step with the hope that he has in the Lord. And so he is able to give this prophecy for the Messiah, not his son yet. He, doesn't, he saves that to the very end. And I think he's starting to put it all together. I think God has been gracious to allow him to see what his son's going to do because he's well up in the years. Zechariah is going to be probably most likely passed away by the time John the Baptist starts his ministry and definitely by the time Jesus does. So he also would have seen John leap in the womb or if he didn't see it, he definitely would have heard about it from his wife and Mary couldn't believe it. And he has heard Mary's account. And so he comes up with this part of the prophecy through the spirit of the Lord. He continues on in 71 through 75, and Zechariah's faith is restored. He knows the Messiah has come to rescue his people, and now they can, can serve the Lord without fear in holiness and righteousness, and there is going to be joy that comes along with some sorrow in there. In verse 78 through 79, he says, I believe this shows that Zechariah was back in step of the Lord again. He was able to see his son's ministry. This is where he specifically points to John the Baptist. He says, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will prepare the way of the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because God's tender mercy 
Do we deserve this rescuing from our sin? Do we deserve to have this done from somebody that is perfect, give up their life for the imperfect? No, we don't. But God pours out his mercy, and it says, I want to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that he was delighted to do so. He wants to restore that relationship with each one of us, and that's pretty amazing. Because of his tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and guide us to the place of peace. Why do you always hear that joy and peace or peace and joy, they go hand in hand? Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. I don't want to steal thunder from my, my second point, but we're going to get there. This reminds me of the Gospel of John, this light, right? John talks about light a lot. He talks about it in John chapter 1, talks about it in John chapter 3, and a few other places I didn't look up right away. But he calls himself the light of the world. Uh, John chapter 7, I just listened to that. Um, that's when they light the, the big light posts, and Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Um, that happens then. John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, this is right after John 3, 16, well, which what a lot of us know, says the judgment is based on this fact, that God's light came into the world, okay? But people love the darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for the fear of their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. The good that they do so you can praise your Father in heaven. There's another. That's a, I'm not sure what verse that is in the Bible, but it comes straight from Scripture. So if you have, it's a VBS song, by the way. If you have the joy of, the, of Christ in you, then you will shine bright in the darkness in a peaceful way, right? This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. How does this affect me? I can no longer be content to just entertain myself. I can't go and just go to church every Sunday and just be content to, oh, the music was nice, the preacher did a good job, or... Many people that go to church, they entertain themselves like this. Oh, the music was horrible, and man, I'm going to have two lunches today. First, I'm going to eat lunch, and then I'm going to eat the pastor for sermon for lunch because it was horrible, right? I hope you guys don't do that because that's, I can take a lot of things. I don't know if I can take that one, right? No, I am compelled to love my neighbor, I'm compelled to love my neighbor and to serve. Why do we have a food pantry? How can we sustain the energy it takes to do a food pantry? How can we go over there with a bad back and still unload boxes or come out, uh, go in with a bad attitude and walk out with a good one? It's because the joy of the Lord is our strength, amen? That's just how it goes. How do we get up and go to Sunday when our back's killing us? It doesn't make sense. The Lord, joy of the Lord is our strength. 
right? People, there is a lost and dying world out there. And they're afraid of the light, right? They don't want... I, I am comfortable in my sin. I'm comfortable with what I know. I don't want to hear this silliness of that I need a Messiah, that I need to be saved. It doesn't make sense, and I don't want to learn any more about it because I want to do my own thing, right? Until when? Until tra- tra- tragedy strikes, right? We saw that in the story of Joseph. The brothers didn't want to get right with the Lord until God started getting their attention through trials and tribulations via Joseph, right? And we learned about that earlier this year. They're afraid to stand in the light. They stand condemned, yet each one of us believes. So we need to develop our 20 seconds testimony. I used to be afraid. I used to be like that. And now I can be strong and courageous because Jesus has come into my life. Do you want a story like that? Do you have a story like that? See an opening? That didn't even take me 10 seconds. Right? When it becomes natural like that, it just flows. And it takes practice. Right? Yeah, pastor, whatever. That's how I was. I was so stinking scared to share my faith. When I, not, I'll tell you, the first time the Lord convicted me, you need to go share your faith. I was supposed to share my faith to my best friend. He was Catholic. I was down in his basement. I'm trying. I did the worst job of sharing my faith in the world. He already knows Jesus. He already knows this. He already does this. I've talked myself a hundred times out. And I went to talk to him, and I went to say it, and his brothers came downstairs, and I lost my chance. I still kick myself over that, but, but I was trying. What I did discover is I need to learn how to do it better than what I just did there, right? I know what I'm trying to say, but I can't say it, right? You ever said that to yourself? I know what I'm trying to say, but it's just not coming out right. We can expose our sin for what it is. When we are in these dark places, we can expose our sin for what it is. It's false love. It is false love, and it is dangerous. It is very dangerous because then we start to look at it as our salvation, and that is dangerous because that is self-righteousness, right? I'm a good person. I'm going to go to heaven. Look at me, right? We can all get there. I can still get there. I can get there real quick, by the way. It's like two steps to the left for me, and I'm right on it, on that path. We can rejoice, though, that Christ's love satisfies and brings joy and peace. And when I don't have that joy and peace in my life, I know I'm off that path. Right? That's an indicator for me. When I am not walking in joy, if I'm not walking in the peace of Christ, I have strayed back usually to that ego path that I want to be in charge and I want to, to have control. So we can give out of faith because we know it's the right thing to do. And we know that God's promise in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, which we just talked about two weeks ago, or two times ago, in um, Bible study on Thursday, 
It says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap for the measure you use, it will be measured against you, right? You ever get like a cup of M&M's from, from your grandma or something? And you're like, oh, get one for your brother or sister. And so you take your cup and you're like, shake it down. So it, oh, mine, I didn't get as many as, as he did, right? And so they put a little bit more in there and you're like, ha ha, right? Only me, I guess, huh? All right. Wow. That's right. Now you get a little more insight into your pastor's life. That's right. I used to do that. I, I said this last time. Um, shake When we would give uh, feed for the cattle, we'd shake it down, and you could get another uh, eighth of a bucket into that. Uh, so you didn't have to carry two buckets. You could give them a heavy one bucket, right? So that's, that's another thing we used to do. So whether I am in times of trial, of great sorrow, or triumph, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Why did I put sorrow and triumph in our main point? Because sometimes for us, it is easier in our sorrow to rely on the, on the joy of the Lord for our strength. But in our triumph, we want to take all the glory. And sometimes it's opposite. It's usually one or the other for people. In our triumph, we can give that to the Lord. But in our sorrow, we hang on to it because that's our identity, right? So we need to learn not only in the bad times, but in the good times, or not only in the good times, but in the bad times, we give it all to the Lord. And that's when the joy of the Lord is our strength. Okay? Make sense? I'll give you an example. King David, when he his first son with Bathsheba is going to die. What's he do? He mourns and fasts for seven days, right? While the kid, child is still alive, he mourns and fasts. And then when the child passes away, he uh, cleans himself up and, and takes care, right? But when his kingdom is at its peak, at the time when kings go out to war, what does David do? He stays home. He gets comfortable. He doesn't give the Lord um, his glory times. He's hanging on to him for himself. I deserve this. I deserve this time of peace. Let the army go out. I'm going to have some time to myself. Oh, boy. That sounds like me, right? So joy and peace. Joy and peace. That's our next point. I noticed with Mary... Obedience was immediate. Hey, I'm going to change your life forever. Surprise. And she's like, let it be. Let it come. I'm ready. Right? And the way she prays, we're going to break it down a little bit today. We broke it down a little bit before. Um, it's, it's amazing. She right away receives a double blessing from Elizabeth and the angel Blessed are you among women, is what the angel says, and that's basically what Elizabeth says, indicating the way she has obeyed is blessed. Okay, therefore she is blessed through her obedience. She walks with the Lord through a trial of getting pregnant out of wedlock. Right? 
This isn't like getting pregnant out of wedlock these days. This is like getting pregnant out of wedlock back in the 50s, right? What do you do to that woman? In the Jewish culture, you stone them, right? And if they're Jewish, you would exile them. You would put them outside the camp. They're never allowed to come in. And what, what are you, in sense, doing? You're killing them slowly, right? They're in the wilderness. They ain't going to make it. They're not in the community. They're not going to make it. So unless God intervenes, they're going to die. We talked about how Joseph came alongside last week and protected Mary from that happening because God showed up and said, protect her. Okay, I'll do it. So they also get protected when they run to Egypt. They also get protected when they come back. They move to Nazareth because the babies are still being killed off and things. So before all the adventure starts in Mary's life, before any of that hits the fan, this is how she responds to God's calling for her life. Look at verse 46 of chapter 1 in Luke. It says, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from the generation to generation to all who fear him. Right? She's alluding to herself in the fact that all who fear him, but she includes everyone and not just herself. It's a very humble position to take. Mary understood the legacy to which she was called. She rejoices with God. She gives him the praise. She keeps her own position low as a servant girl, and she does not exalt herself. She allows the Lord to do that for her. She understands the story that will be told and will have her as a blessed and faithful servant. And then she re redirects the blessing back to God and for his mercy to all who fear him. She includes, this is like every believer from all time. That's pretty amazing. That is a woman of faith, right? When we do what is right and we walk with the Lord, He's going to watch out for you, right? It might not always be the outcome that you want because you can look at many, many stories of martyrs in, throughout time for the Christian faith. They walked with the Lord, and they died for their faith, right? But what did that tend to do? It tended to spread their faith like wildfire because if he believed like that, then he had something to believe in. In blessings and in through trials, around problems, in the midst of pain, Mary understood the truth found in Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him. And they are safe. Totally want to bust into another VBS song right there because I totally could. But I'm starting to pull that filter back. Yes. Barely. Um, where do we find our strength? The simple things. 
the simple things, okay? Here's an example of one of the simple things. This is me. This might not be any of you, but this is for me lately. When I pride myself in something, it's usually something that the Lord has given me, right? And when I take credit for that, the Lord will take that away from me. Here's an example. Um, one of them's remember names. I can remember names forever. And the Lord's like, no, you can't. I did that. Now you can't. I, I have a hard time struggling with names. I have to name associate now. Sometimes I can remember names really well. I remember Madeline's, Madison's name. See, I screwed that up. Uh, just because. I don't know why. Um, and then I had a hard, had a hard time with Bradley's name, but I, I remember it now too. The big one for me is lost things. Lost things. I lose things all the time. You talk to my mom, you talk to my wife, and she will tell you, Shane can't find the bottom side of a barrel. Uh, she wouldn't say it like that, but um, if I say that I'm good at, at finding things, she would laugh at me, and she would call me out in front of everybody, because I honestly think I'm really good at finding things. I, I think I'm like an expert at it, and if I think I'm an expert at it, who gave me that ability? The Lord did, right? So he likes to just pull that ability from me sometimes until I reach out to him for that help. And I cannot find squat around the house until I ask the Lord, Lord, show me where I put that. Boom, it'll come to right, right to my mind. And if it doesn't, then sometimes I need to uh, get in prayer more. Or I have to do the humble thing, the expert. I have to ask for help right? And I'm horrible at this. I tell you what, when I lose something, I go into like panic mode. You can ask, none of them are up here today. I'm safe, so you're going to have to go ask them. They all went down to help the children's church because Brady's not feeling well today. But I will go into panic mode in the sense that I will be taking the kids to church or to school in the morning. So I got to take the boys over to the, the place, and I like to leave my keys in my pocket. So I have a spring coat, I got a winter coat, and I got a, um, a hook where they belong. They're supposed to be on the hook, but when I'm going around, I'm wearing the same coat. Oh, I'll know where they're at. They're in the coat, right? And sometimes they're in my jean pockets from the night before. And I will go around looking for those. And I don't go in to, to look for those like, oh, hey, have you seen my keys? It's like, it's the end of the world. It's going to fall. Where is it at? Where are my keys? I got to find my keys. Have you seen my keys? Well, that gets my wife worked up and things. But where do I find my strength? If it, it's never in me. It's either in my wife or it's in the Lord. And I calm down and ask the Lord, where is it at? It's right here. Here it is. So when I'm weary and losing my keys... And I've checked all four pockets once, and i got to go back and check them the second time. And there they are on the kitchen table because, oh, yeah, I took them out so I didn't lose them. <laughs> Who's holding me up, right? We all get in there. That's something so simple, right? 
Do we ever attribute the simple to something that maybe we, we might not have given over to the Lord? Perhaps Mary on this journey to Bethlehem with her husband Joseph, she's far along in her pregnancy. She's probably at least eight months, if not nine at this point. And Mary glances at the watchtower of Bethlehem. She sees it over the horizon and she wonders if I can just get to there. Whether she's riding on a donkey, whether she's walking, we don't know. It doesn't say that in the Bible. We get that from a, like a third century Christmas story. And she's going along and she's trying to figure out where, if I can just get to the tower, then we can find a place. And if we find a place, then we can get, I can have this baby and we'll be fine. The cramps, everything's starting already. Oh no. Because what happens when you walk, ladies? When you're nine months pregnant, that baby's coming, right? What do they do in the ho hotel or the hotel, the hospital? Yeah, that's where you. That's where we had all our kids in the hotel. Um, in the hospital, they have you walk the hallways, right? So it's coming, and she recalls Psalm 61. Maybe I don't know. She might. She might not. It says, "Oh God, listen to my cry." Hear my prayer from the ends of the earth. I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the tower, the rock of safety, for you are my safe refuge, a force, fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary. Be safe beneath the shelter of your wings. Why would she think of Psalm 61? Because David wrote it about the tower in Bethlehem. It's the same one. When she saw the tower, she would think of those verses right away. It's very possible. White Rose, we need to turn to the Lord for our strength, for our strong tower. The righteous run to it, and they are safe. Luke 51 through 55, she continues on and says, His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haunty ones. He has brought down the princes from the thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he has made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. From what we've read in this passage... Mary is quick to give the Lord credit, isn't she? She doesn't take any of the credit. She gives it. She's not even pregnant yet. She gives credit to the Lord. She remembers the stories told of old wicked kings. She knows the prophecy of the Messiah and that he is going to come and save the world. She does not try to take his role. She does not try to take his role. Okay? The world tries to give Mary Jesus' role. She doesn't try to take that role, but she's willing to play her part in the story. And will she be remembered as blessed? Absolutely. This is a great example of humility. Humility is an integral part of being a decent human being. It allows you to look at the bigger picture and understand there are more important things in life than self 
promotion. It's taken me like 45 years to learn that one. I'm still pretty self-promoting, right? So for you and for me, here are seven characteristics of humility. Humility makes you authentic and honest. If you want to find someone who has humility, you need to find someone who's authentic and honest. Honest with yourself and honest with others. Not quick to toot their own horn. A team first mentality, a teammate first mindset. When you play sports and you win the game winning shot, what does the world want to celebrate? They want to celebrate the shooter, right? But somebody with humility, they point to the coach who set the play up. They point to the person that inbounded the play. They point to the person that set the pick to get the job done. It took a team to get the job done, right? It's more than just one person. Number two, humility gives you a greater sense of purpose. Humility makes it easier for you to discover your purpose in life. Well, shoot. That's something I want because you realize the success comes from fulfilling the roles that are given to you by others. And to think about this one for a little bit. The success comes from filling roles that are given to you by others, not just the ones you want for yourself. I want to become a successful millionaire and I'm going to get this role because I'm going to work hard and do it all by myself, right? That's where we tend to go. But where the Lord tends to lead us is in the first steps. And the first steps of becoming successful in life is working on the little things. Like, I don't know, cleaning your room, right? If we can clean our room, then we can be successful in life. Well, hear me out, okay? When we are under authority and we listen to that authority that's given to us to clean your room, it is a task that we must complete. All throughout your life, you're going to have somebody in authority over you that tells you that you need to complete this task, right? And if you can complete the little things along life's way, You'll be able to complete and be successful at the big things. So don't look at cleaning your room as something that's so boring and I can't believe i got to do this again. But look at it as an opportunity as something that we can do to be successful in life. Because if we can conquer this little thing, we can conquer the big things, right? What happens when we get overwhelmed with the mess? And the, right now, the room is metaphorical and maybe something else in your life right? You walk into your room and it is such a mess. What do I do to clean this room? Well, you baby step into that room, right? First, we, make, we clear a path, clear a path to the trash can, and we clear a path to the clothes hamper, right? 
So we start picking up stuff off the floor so we have a place to go. Maybe we set it on the beds. Maybe we set it on the dressers for now. But we make a path. We get the dirty clothes out of there. And pretty soon, now where do I go? Well, I'm going to go counterclockwise or I'm going to go clockwise around the room. And I'm going to clean sections at a time. And I'm going to do it whether it takes one day, two days, or a week to get the job done. I'm going to go and I'll make sure I clean house. Right? That works with addictions. That works with a dirty room. That works with dirty lives. Clear path and baby steps around the room until it's clean. Right? Gives us a greater sense of purpose. Three, humility brings peace to your life. Humility allows you to acknowledge that you don't know and encourages curiosity and a drive for continuous learning so that one is always growing in their knowledge base. Okay? So what does that mean? It means ask good questions. If you don't know about something, ask somebody who does. And when you have that humility on how do you stay this way, how do you know this? How did you understand this? Well, this is the process that I did. Brings peace to your life because you don't know, and I can, I'm content with that. So now I'm going to find out. I'm a curious person, and I'm going to satisfy my curiosity. I'm going to find out. Number four, humility allows you to serve others selflessly. Humility allows us to understand our self-worth. Criticism does not cut as deep because we would be chopping down a small podium. What do I mean by that? Right? You ever place yourself up on a podium? Well, I'm look at me, I'm all this in a bag of chips. That's right. And if you want to be around here, you're going to have to open that bag for me. <laughs> right? But then we find out that we're wrong and that podium gets whacked out, and we fall a mighty ways down. But if we have a small podium, oh, we just stumble a little bit, right? We can catch ourselves before we land. So if we can serve each other selflessly, it allows us to take criticism from other people constructively. Even if they're wrong, is there a little bit of truth in that criticism? Yes, the part is you got to discern how much? Is it 10% true? Is it 90% true? What they see, do other people see? So we ask. Humility allows you to forgive more easily. Humility reminds us that everyone makes mistakes. We could have made that area just as easy, so we forgive. We could have been in their same shoes, so we forgive. We could have screwed up the same way, so we forgive. Number six, humility helps you to connect with others and not manipulate them. This one is where the Lord works on my heart a lot. I can manipulate people. I was just telling this to my brother. He's like, I'd be like a bull in a china shop. I'd press and press and press until I got what I want. So that's not how I'd work. I manipulate people to get them to do what I want. 
right? That's just the way I am. It's the way I was, I was wired. And for me to do, to press like a bull is not natural for me. For me to have self-control is not natural for me. For me to be a good person, it's not natural for me. I'm a wicked, ugly person inside unless Christ is there cleaning me up right after I have. You heard the filter come off a little bit today, right? That's all the thoughts going on in Pastor Shane's head, right? And the filter comes off. Defensive walls come down with a humble person. There's no need to dominate or control conversations. They allow everyone to get involved, right? Everybody can share in the, in the prize at the end. Everyone can have part of the success. Somebody that's hum- humble encourages others to come alongside and do what they need to do. We used to, we still play a lot of games in youth group. We played, um, I'm going to close with this. I got one more after this, but this will be my last story. Played um, a lot of ultimate frisbee. Played gator ball. It's the same thing. Anytime I would get on the other side, the other team, I would always pick my team with weaker players. And I would come alongside that team, and I would encourage them, okay? And if I, we were getting down too much, then I'd play harder, and I would get us caught back up, either tied or just one below, because nobody wants to play a game that's blown out. And so I'd always take the weaker team, and I would always um, encourage those guys. And if I could get them to believe in themselves, usually I didn't have to play a lick during that game because they would always dominate the other team because they were always encouraging other people. And I could always beat the other team that was better than us, more talented than us, because they were playing for themselves. And I'd go over there and tell them that, and they'd understand it. And every once in a while, someone would listen, and they would learn that... um, to to let those defensive walls down, to go in humility, to encourage one another and go forward. And finally, humility prevents you from becoming self-righteous. And Mary's the best example in this. She's such a good example because she gives glory to God. She reminds that she is but a humble servant, And then she gives glory to God again. She gives glory to God, reminds that she's but a servant, and then she gives glory to God, and she gives credit to everyone that's been on this timeline, to all the the faithful believers. They would be, they would do the same thing if they were here. And she remembers his promises to her people. Do you remember God's promises to you? Do you remember what he has done for us in his mercy? He's taken away our sins. How's he done that, Pastor? You talked about this strong tower that we can run to, but I don't know. I don't know if I have that tower. Well, 
You have to stay tuned till tonight because that's what we're going to talk about later this evening. Okay? So whether I'm in times of great sorrow or triumph, the joy of the Lord is my strength, and it can be yours too. We're going to talk about that too tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples that you've given us in your word, in Mary and Zechariah. Lord, we can learn from both. We've all messed up. We've all doubted you. And we've all turned back in obedience. And Lord, we thank you for that. I pray that we would do it quickly like Zechariah did and so that we can be in tune with you. Lord, I pray that we would also just recognize when your presence is needed and being felt and that we can turn to you right away. We thank you for Mary's example and that she boldly approached the throne of God and gave you all the praise, stayed humble, and praised you for all time. Lord, that sounds like a disciple maker to me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving each one of us disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our paths, starting with our families. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our ways to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today, but draw our hearts to you and specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform each one of us into a a follower of Jesus who loves you, who loves people, who makes disciples of Jesus, who makes more disciples, ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.